Good morning. <clears throat> I am grateful for your presence today. I want to echo what's already been said, that uh, if you're a guest this morning, we're especially grateful for your presence as well. I do want to point out, not to single some guests out more than others, but I am going to do that. Uh, this morning we have Matt and Rebecca Pugh, who are sitting right over here, who probably don't want me to call out their names, but uh, Matt is the pastor at Country Bible Church, has been on a sabbatical and has a couple of Sundays off, and chose, they chose to spend one of those with us. So if you saw them and thought, those faces look familiar, uh, and wondered, they haven't left Country Bible Church. Uh, they just wanted to come. They love this church family and wanted to come and spend one of their Sundays here, and I am grateful for them being here with us today. I want to invite you to turn to Mark chapter 9 in your Bible. Uh, if you don't have one, there should be a pew Bible there in front of you. I want to encourage you to find that and read along with us or find it on your phone, however you want to access Mark 9. We're going to read together in just a minute. I want to just uh, echo as we get started uh, Chris's announcement about Back to School Sunday. One thing we can't emphasize enough uh, is that we'll have a brunch in, in, in lieu of classes next Sunday morning. Uh, please bring something to eat for your family and something to share. Last year we had lots of extra stuff, and that's, that's what we want, is provide uh, a brunch for not only for ourselves, but also for our guests, and, and all of you know that that is a, a unique Sunday. We'll have lots of uh, extra people here with us. Invite somebody to be with us next Sunday, uh, and we'll spend some time uh, in our worship gathering uh, praying for our students and uh, as they head into their mission field and our teachers as they go out into the, their workplaces as families start a new school year. I'll say something about that in my prayer in a minute, but next Sunday we'll dedicate our day to that. Before I, uh, so that's, that's that, annou that announcement. I also want to say on a personal note, um, today or this last week, my family and I um, completed our eighth year here at, with Kaufman Church of Christ, and which doesn't seem possible really. And uh, for me, for you, that, may, that anniversary may not, you know, you may not even be on your radar, probably not, but for us, this time of year, in addition to the school year starting, also is a reminder that uh, in 2011, we moved to serve here with you, and I want to just say, I want to acknowledge that, say to you that we're grateful for each of you, grateful to be on the journey with you. I am honestly more excited uh, than I've ever been about what God is doing among us, and I'm thankful for the role that each one of you play. Uh, in God's work in this place. So thank you for eight wonderful years we've had together and hope we hope to have many more serving among you as a church family. So thanks for letting me share that. Uh, so this summer we're in a, a series we've had to have this week and next week we've been calling Major Minor, looking at minor characters in the Bible and how their stories point to God and the story that God is telling in Scripture. And if you've missed any of these sermons, you can Find those on our podcast or website, see what all we've covered, who all we've covered this summer. We'll finish this next week on Back to School Sunday. Uh, and so we're going to be in Mark chapter 9 and find our minor character there together in just a minute. But before we read uh, from Mark 9, I want to ask if you would to bow with me in prayer. So let's do that. Father, we're thankful this morning for some space to gather here. We're grateful for church and uh, all of the things that happen as we gather each and every week. We're grateful for the moments and the weeks when everything goes exactly like we imagine, and we're grateful for the weeks where uh, we also make mistakes and we mess up and we get to love each other through all of that. And I'm thankful for Joe and Chris and Mark and Mike and the ways they lead us and the worship team leads us in worship every single Sunday. I'm grateful, Father, for the opportunity to gather around your table together and remember 
the blood, the body of Christ, and to set that on our hearts as we approach your word this morning. God, I ask this morning as we study in Mark chapter 9 that you'll give us eyes to see and ears to hear all that you want us to see and hear. I ask, Father, that you will help us to be aware of uh, the ways that you are at work in this story and in our lives and how we see Christ uh, in this story that we'll look at together. We pray, Father, this morning, uh, believing that you hear us and confident that you will answer, and we thank you for uh, your word and the truth that it provides, and we're uh, excited to look this morning together at this story. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So we find our minor character in Mark chapter 9 today, and I want to begin in verse 14, and I'm going to do my best uh, to not mess up or mispronounce any words today. <clears throat> like I did last Sunday. If you missed it, well, would you just missed it? So, uh, Mark chapter 9, beginning in verse 14. Let's read together. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing about with them about? Jesus asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashing his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, How long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, Jesus said. I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet. And he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? And he replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. This event comes right after the transfiguration. Jesus comes down from the mountain and a crowd has gathered. And there's an argument that has broken out. And things seem to be getting a little bit testy. And that's when we meet our minor character. Jesus asks what's going on, and he's curious about this scene that's unfolding in in front of him. And a father steps front and center into the story. Apparently, the argument that's happening is centered around him and around his son. The father has a son that's very sick. He's been sick for a long time. The boy's possessed by a demon, and this evil spirit makes the boy unable to talk, unable to speak. 
When the fits happen, the spirit throws the boy into, you know, down onto the ground and he foams at the mouth and he grinds his teeth and it makes him, Mark says, as stiff as a board. The spirit has even thrown this boy into the fire and river ne- nearly drowning him. And I wonder this morning if you, if you can hear in the father's voice his heart. The only person I think that might possibly be more broken than the boy in this story is the father. Can you feel the father's pain? Can you imagine watching this happen to your child for their entire life, unable to fix it, unable to do anything to make it go away, unable to protect your son from going into these fits? Some of you can't imagine it because you've lived it, unable to do the one thing that you long to do to help your child. You'd give anything. You'd do anything to take their pain away, to take their struggle away, to change their situation. Some of you can imagine it because you've lived it or you are living it, not maybe with a child, but with a a spouse or a friend or even something in your own life. The father hears about Jesus and he brings the boy out to the area where Jesus is and then he speaks. He says, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help. And this question, this statement seems to sort of rub Jesus the wrong way. If I can, everything is possible for the person who believes. It's the first time in Mark's gospel that Jesus makes faith a precondition for healing and what follows I think is one of the most raw human moments in the Bible the father says I believe help my unbelief the father believes but his belief his faith is mixed he has some doubts too and from our vantage point 2,000 years later looking back on this story reading it today it feels easy to critique his response, right? We want to shout to the Father, like, don't you know who is standing in your presence? That's Jesus, man. He can do whatever you ask him to do. Everything is possible if you just believe. I believe, but I don't believe too. This is what the Father says. And because we've all experienced our own stories, I imagine that we can relate this morning. The Father we have to remember, has seen a lot of life up to this point. His son has been this way his entire life. We we don't know how old he is exactly at this point, but we don't get the sense that he's a baby. That this has been going on for a while is kind of the feel of the story, which means that prior to this moment, there has been a lot of helpless moments. Prior to this moment, there have been a lot of searching for answers and coming up empty. Prior to this moment, there have been a lot of sleepless nights, wondering, will this ever get better? And then, seeing the crowd begin to gather, Jesus speaks. He says, demon, come out of this boy and never enter him again. The boy falls to the ground. The spirit shrieks and makes the boy's body convulse until he appears dead. 
The NIV translation that I read from a minute ago says in this moment that Jesus takes him by the hand and lifts him to his feet. But I think you hear the idea that Mark is actually trying to convey best in the English Standard Version, the ESV translation, that says it this way. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. Mark is using resurrection language to wake us up to the fact that the boy was raised to new life. It's here, though, I want to slow down, and I want to notice something about this story. A lot of times, I think, when we think about stories like this and the people who are involved in these kinds of stories, these healing moments, we talk about their faith. And I want us to notice this morning that it was not perfect, doubtless faith of the father that healed this boy. What this father has in great measure is love. The love of a father for his son, the love of a parent for their child. Listen to what one author wrote about this idea when he said this. He says, by all accounts, it seems that this boy was healed because his father loved him. He was healed because his father was willing to make a scene to make a fool of himself, to do whatever it took to help his son. He did not have the faith to move mountains, but he had the love to take his pickaxe and chop down a mountain stone by stone. What this father lacked in faith, he made up for in love. And I think Austin Fisher is right. Because love is what compelled this father to action. I think sometimes his faith statement, I believe, help my unbelief, is critiqued. And when this is done, I think we miss out on the fact that the father was there. He showed up. And when he saw Jesus, he doesn't just sit around. No, he cries out looking for help. What the father lacked in faith, he made up for in love. What the father lacked in faith, he made up for in love. Matthew and Mark and Luke all include this story in their gospel. Mark's the only one who gives us this, this confession, this prayer, I believe, help my unbelief. But in every case, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the story comes right after the transfiguration story. And you'll remember up on the mountain of transfiguration that God spoke. I think there are a number of reasons that this story falls right after each of the gospel writers puts this story right after the transfiguration story. But I believe one of the reasons is because up on the mountain, God spoke. And when God spoke, he said these words. He says, this is my son, speaking of Jesus, listen to him. This is my son whom I love, listen to him. And in this story that comes right after the transfiguration story, we see an earthly father say to Jesus, this is my son whom I love. And he's trying He's giving his best effort to pursue and to listen to Jesus. He has faith, but he also has doubts. And when Paul, thinking about faith, when Paul writes about faith to the church in Corinth, you know, we often put faith kind of as uh, maybe the, the, the greatest quality that a person, a Christian can have, can carry in their life. But when Paul's writing to the church in Corinth, he says this about faith. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men 
or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. Paul says that it is possible to have unshakable mountain-moving faith and still be nothing. But then he takes things a, a little further at the end of chapter 13 and when he says this, thinking about these three things that we tend to kind of put in, you know, put together faith, hope, and love. And often I think we lift and elevate faith as the highest among these three. But Paul says, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these three is love. And I think we look past that last line too easily. Because often, again, when Christians speak about things having to do with our relationship with Jesus, faith is made out to be, or even talked about, as the greatest possible thing a person can have. But according to Paul, love is greater than faith, and it will outlast faith. And, and, and Jesus supports this idea, right? When Jesus was asked what the greatest command was, he did not say that the greatest command is to have doubtless faith that can move mountains. Jesus said that the greatest command is the love of God and love of neighbor. Sometimes we think that if we can just think our, you know, we, we think we can think our way into more faith or deeper faith. I want more faith. And then we study about faith and then we talk about faith and we sit around and we think about faith. And then we wonder why we don't have more faith. Faith church comes in doing or in the case of this father faith comes in starting with love the love of his son that compelled him to do something we also think i I believe that faith has to be i think wrongly i think we, we think that faith has to be completely empty of any kind of doubt but i would suggest which echoes what beverly ross spoke about this last wednesday night that faith isn't faith unless it is mixed with some doubt. And there's moments of this, right, that you have experienced. Here, here's an example from my life. When my children were smaller, like many of you, I would toss them high into the air and catch them. And as I can recall, I never dropped them. No, I, I didn't. I, I wouldn't want to say it on record, but I don't think I ever dropped them. So, so you know the routine, right? Like you've done this with your kids, your grandkids. They would say, toss me in there, toss me in there. And, and, and I'm not talking about, like, I don't know how you did it with your kids. I wouldn't, I wouldn't do like a little toss. I mean, I'm like chunking them in the air as high as they can go, right? Enough that Lana's face would get a little bit of a nervous look on it. And the interesting thing was that I noticed is that they had faith that I would catch them because I caught them every time. No matter how many times I tossed them up into the air, there was always that point, though, when they got tossed up into the air. It was usually at the highest point, right? When their eyes got big and they felt a little bit out of control and their arms might begin to flail a little bit and they felt the risk that is inherently involved with getting tossed into the air. There is a risk involved in that activity. Sometimes it was at this point, at the highest point, point when they're in the air when their arms would begin to reach down as if to say catch me which to me sounds a lot like 
I believe, help my unbelief. But then I would catch them, and we would laugh, and we would smile, and they would say what? Do it again. I believe, help my unbelief. Greg Boyd says it this way. He says, biblical faith isn't about trying to attain certainty. It's about committing to a course of action in the face of uncertainty. That is why it's called faith, church. How certain you are is irrelevant. James says, even the demons believe. The problem with the demons is they don't commit. Faith is like a marriage in many ways. You don't know that you're going to be happily married happily ever after. I mean, you might think you're going to be, you are before you're married, but you don't know for certain, right? There is a risk that is involved in engaging in a covenant relationship like marriage. And that word risk is not a bad word, but you are making a commitment, a pledge. I mean, there is a chance None of us believe this. There's a a chance. We might be wrong on the whole thing about Jesus. But I believe, we believe with all of our hearts that Jesus is everything that he says he is and more. And I've experienced this to be true and you have as well. I am banking my life on the fact that he lived and died and was raised on the third day and that the tomb is still empty. Ancient people weren't like us, right? When the Bible talks about faith, They were not asking, like, how psychologically certain can we be about this whole idea about, you know, they weren't interested in that. There was a a covenant concept that they understood that I think sometimes we don't understand fully. And I think for ancient people, I think for Jesus, the question is, are you willing to commit? Are you willing to commit? Faith isn't what is going on between our ears, in our minds. Faith is what you're doing with your life. And this father, I believe, is a model in that way. He he leverages everything on Jesus. With his son's health, he went to Jesus. With his questions and his doubts, he went to Jesus. And worldly voices, as many of you have experienced, and I know has been my story too, will try to persuade us that when you have doubts, that the answer is actually to run from Jesus, to run from the family of God, to run from times like this where we can gather to worship, to run from Jesus with your doubts. And this Father is such a great model for us in this way. He goes to the one person that can help him navigate all of the stuff going on inside of him his faith is not clean and tidy his faith is not does not seem to be perfect but he's found the one that is and he's counting on jesus to make it help it all make sense and this morning today you you may feel doubt you may feel uncertainty about something that is going on in your life you may have questions about god about scripture, about things that are going on in the world. And the best that you may be, may be able to offer the Lord is, I believe, help my unbelief. And the good news in Christ is this, is that he'll, he'll meet you there. Right Throughout scripture, we read about people. We know the stories of people that had strong faith. Some of those people's stories are 
are covered and are recognized in the book of Hebrews. But in the same scriptures, we have this minor character, a father that has faith, but also has doubts. A father that really didn't have, by most of our standards, enough faith to have his son healed. But he knew where to go for the healing that he was looking for. We learn from this father that Jesus can handle our questions. We learn that Jesus can handle our I believe, help my unbelief moments. We learn from him that our job is, to not, have, is not to have all of the answers. Our job, our role is to trust Christ, is to trust Jesus and trust that he will catch us when we feel like we are falling from the sky. Let's pray together. Father, this morning we come, and I know in our room, in our gathering this morning, that there are some who come feeling the I believe help my unbelief. There are circumstances and things going on in life that have created in us hesitation and doubt, curiosity about how it will play out in the future. And God, I pray this morning that we will, we will bring those to Jesus. We'll bring those thoughts, questions, concerns to Christ. Expressing our confidence and our trust in Him in the midst of the questions that we have that swirl around us. I pray, God, this morning that you will grow in us a faith that understands that this, there is this tension that is always there in at play of acknowledging and, and recognizing a confidence and a trust in you and also experiencing life all along the way. I'm grateful for this minor character, this father who loved his son enough to take him to the person who he believed could help answer the questions that he had. May we also run to Jesus. May we trust Christ to catch us, to hold us in our doubts, in our questions, in the moments of uncertainty in life. We're thankful, Father, that Jesus meets this Father in this place and that he meets us there as well. And we pray this morning through your Spirit that you'll continue to move us forward in our growth as followers of you, trusting you completely, we pray. In the name of Christ. And the church said, Amen. If you would stand with me this morning, we want to provide a time uh, of response this morning. If you have a need that you want to make public, I'll be down front and would love to pray with you about that. And uh, if you want to visit or pray with an elder, there'll be an elder at the back. Always encourage you to find somebody around you and pray with them. Uh, there are a lot of things going on in life this morning, this week. And uh, the lives of people in our church, and you may want to find someone as we're singing this next song and pray with them to encourage them. However you need to respond to the Lord, let's do that while we sing this song. <laughs>